This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. I'm so excited for this conversation for so many reasons, because we are at a critical time right now in not only our democracy, but literally for our community when it comes to policy. And so at this moment, I have two powerful guests with me. Um, my dear brother, Dr. Youssef Salam and Reggie Weaver. Uh, Dr. Salam is a family man, father, poet, activist, and inspirational speaker. He is also the recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from President Barack Obama. And many of you know his story because at, back in 1989, at just 15 years young, Dr. Yusuf Salam was tried and convicted in the Central Park Jogger case. And he, along with other black men, he is now obviously part of the Exonerated Five. Um, and he spent between Seven, who also spent between seven to 13 years behind bars for a crime they did not commit until their, until their sentences were overturned in 2002. And so when I'm just grateful to have him, he is also now my frat brother. He is a part of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. So I'm this man, this is my brother now, for real, for real. So I'm just so happy to have him with us. And also Reggie Weaver, who is a part of the Hip Hop Caucus team and he is now the national campaigner for the Respect My Vote campaign. And if you know that campaign, because that is the longest, most successful hip-hop political voting campaign ever. I mean, it is a world record holder. It has the world record for the most votes for any organization um, in this country. And so I'm so happy to have both Dr. Yusuf Salam and Reggie Weaver. My brothers, how y'all doing? Doing well, we're happy to be with you. Dr. Slam, I'm going to start with you. Uh, for those who don't know you, beside what I just said, who is Dr. Youssef Salam and who is your community? You know, um, I, you know, when I think about my, my story, I think about it as a journey. And I think about it as a journey, not necessarily just for me, but for other people who have experienced the same plight in life. You know, when you go to sleep, to the American dream and you wake up to the proverbial nightmare that America presents itself to be, you realize what's at stake. And the beautiful thing about it is that you have to grow up very, fair, very, very fast in the classroom of life, you know, almost skipping ahead. If you apply yourself mentally, physically and spiritually, you get the opportunity to see things from a different vantage point. You know, the system may want you to see it only one way. But really, when you when you when you really understand what you're fighting against, you're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high and low places. That's right. So, you know, I'm a I'm a person who, in many ways, I would say, has been touched by God to be a light in the world, but also to remind people that we all can turn up our lights and shine our light in the world. And what happens when you turn light on? Darkness leaves. And that's what we need. We need more light in the world. We need more people to 
activate themselves, to activate their power, to be present, to know that psychosocially they matter. And when you show up in life like that, you don't move throughout life as if you are a mistake. You move throughout your mm -hmm. life on purpose, focused, and knowing that you're supposed to be here. Amen. Man, back to smile. You thought I would have word. I mean, you just, you didn't, you just came on. <laughs> my goodness. You I mean, you didn't get, we didn't get warmed up, man. I tell you, you just, <laughs> you leap right into it. My, my, my. Man, I, I thank you for that. And that was, that was a blessing. Um, same question for you, Reggie. You know, you know, who is Reggie Weaver and who is your community? Yeah. Um, so Reggie Weaver, um, and, and as I said earlier, I'm the national campaigner for the Respect My Vote campaign for Hip Hop Caucus. Um, and I've been, I'm going to start with that work, that, that voting rights work specifically, because um, it's um, not only important, but also very personal to me. I am um, originally from Mobile, Alabama. Um, most of my family is still in, in the state of Alabama. And as I think about um, the long history um, of struggle for voting rights in particular, um, and Selma, Alabama being an, an important part of that, um, what, you know, what, what gave rise uh, or was kind of the final catalyst to the Voting Rights Act um, that, you know, has secured many, many of the freedoms that, that, we, that we do still have, um, even though there are all these attempts, continued attempts um, to suppress the vote. But given that history and given my family's connection to that history, some of, some of my family members were a part of that original Selma March. Um, I had just a history of, of, of advocacy in the family um, around voting rights in particular. So um, I see myself as part of a lineage um, of, of people who have been in this struggle and I'm proud to, to continue that. Related to that upbringing, I think when I think about my community, um, you know, it's important for me to identify myself um, as a Southerner, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a black person, but a black person from the American South. Um, and that means something to me um, in terms of who I'm connected to, um, in, in terms of the history, the, the culture. Um, and within that history as well, um, thinking about my family, um, the word sharecropper comes to mind. And I, and I mean that both because that, that, that has been a part of my family's history. But when I think about the history after sharecropping. Um, a lot of those families um, have stayed in those communities, um, have built those communities, um, have, have maintained a, a connection um, to, to the land and the history. And so for me, there is um, an implication around resilience um, when I say that. So um, this, this kind of determination to, to stick with it um, for the long haul, um, that's my community. And when I do that work, um, wherever I'm doing this work, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in North Carolina now, but um, wherever I do this work, um, I think of my community um, in, in every context as, as people who are resilient um, and who have the power to, to stick with it and, and keep fighting. Man, I love that. Thank you for that, Reggie. You know, one of the things about this political process is that it really is about political power. It is about shaping one's destiny, or even more so, controlling one's destiny. And so I am curious, because we are at a moment where one of the things that we have to pass on to the next generation is their understanding of power and, and how it connects to our liberation and our freedom. This is a serious time, and we have... We can, we can go through all the policies that are impact our community. It can even, it can be overwhelming at times when we go through the list. But we 
as a people have been resilient. And if we understand how power works, then we can create change. So Dr. Salam, I guess my question to you is just, just talk to our audience about your relationship to power. You know, I think, you know, when I think about my personal relationship to power, I think about that which has been defined for me without the inclusion of that which was defined for me in the creation process that took place when my mother and father got together. Mm. I think about the long legacy that is in our DNA um, and for females specifically, the, the mtDNA, right? That, that, that goes and purses throughout the body. And in that is the totality of what we know as Sankofa that they have tried to disconnect people from. And, I'm, and I'm, I want to start from that particular premise because when you don't know who you are and someone else tells you who you are, you begin to accept the definitions in community like you're going to be dead or in jail before you reach the age of 21. We begin to play those kinds of um, ritualistic characterizations of ourselves out in real life when the truth of the matter is that that's not our definition. That's the box that they have placed us in. You know, in many ways, that is the, the, the nat line that they want us only to jump to. And anyone who jumps out of that, they look, they're, they're seen as anomalies when the truth of the matter is that they are the norm. And we need to know that. We need to be able to understand that somebody has hoodwinked us. Somebody has played a, a sick game of technology and gotten us to participate in our own demise. So my relationship to power is first understanding that I was born on purpose and with a purpose. And that in that purpose, there is a great thing that I have to do psychosocially when I know that, that I get the opportunity to participate in full. But if I feel like I was born not on purpose, that somehow I was a mistake, then I begin to move throughout my life as if I'm a mistake. And when I think about the relationship, that relationship um, with community to power, <clears throat> you know, we hear all the time. What do people think when they, when they read the statements in the, in the Constitution? We are the people and we take a pregnant pause. We know that when that document was being created, black and brown bodies were considered three-fifths of a human being. That document has never been reformed to include the fullness of our humanity. We know we were born on purpose. We know we were born by God's decree, divine decree, to be here. And the best thing is that in most religious spaces, we know that mankind was created from dirt. And what color is dirt? Hmm. And so we get the opportunity to show up right on time, understanding that we have been chosen and understanding also that we have been literally placed right in the middle of the war to do powerful things. We have to represent the great I am. Right. And that's through, that's throughout all we do. You know, we never get an opportunity to put our foot up off the gas. You know, even in those cruising moments where we feel like we put our foot up off the gas, you know, we have to continue to press on because we are at war. And most of that war is a mental war. If they can capture this, then they've captured the body because wherever the head goes, the body follows. 
Mm. So I just want to come back to you because you said something to a lot that's very important and I think gets to the root. You know, I know I grew up with your story because, you know, we're roughly around the same age and I was around the same age when you went through what you went through uh, with the Central Park um, situation. And I'm so glad that you are now part of the Exonerated Five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I relate to that because for me as a person of faith, you know, it's easy for me to see myself in you. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's no different than seeing that. But that could have been easily me um, in that situation. So knowing that and knowing how easy it is to be shaped by policy and situations in this country, I'm just always struck. And I've been, a, I've been able to see you from afar and just watch you either on TV and hearing my friends like Bakari, Bakari Kidwana, shout out here, been around and many other people. I'm the way destruct at how you are you are still so grounded <laughs> in the midst of injustice. So I just gotta pause there because a lot of the conversation about should we be engaging in a system that many will say is not for us is 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 based in an, a rightful anger about how they've been treated. But you're flipping that on on its head. Mm-hmm. You're flipping that in a way in which that you're saying that we were here before, we have purpose, we, 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 we are designed to be in this moment. How did you come to that point? I just got to stop there because I think that leads a lot of folks who are jaded and cynical and bitter and they need to hear a word like that from you about how you can go from one situation to another. Well, you know, I definitely appreciate that, you know, and I think that that's part of the majesty of the, of the great creator, right? I think, you know, in many ways, the creator doesn't make mistakes. And if you plug into that kind of power, then you get the opportunity to understand that what happens to you actually is happening for you. Life is shaping you to become your best self. You know, my good friend Les Brown, he said, it's not a matter of if you fall in life, but when you fall, Mm. try to land on your back. But imagine if if you don't land on your back. Imagine if you land flat on your face with all the hurt and pain and, 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 uh, you know, embarrassment that 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 causes. Turn over. Turn over. Like, understand that these things that we think we have control over. We have no control over. As a matter of fact, there's a verse in the book I read from, the scripture I read, which says that if you believe and think you are in control, then when your life is leaving your body at your time of death and you see it with your eyes leaving your body, try to pull it back. My mother said to me, and this is really, I think, perhaps the crux of the matter. At 15 years of age, when I was no longer underneath the roof in my mother's household, when I was kidnapped in many ways, like many black and brown bodies have been kidnapped and placed in the, in the belly of the beast, the womb of America. My mother said to me in a brief moment that she had with me, she said, they need you to participate in whatever it is they're trying to do. 
Do not participate. She encouraged me. Do not participate. Refuse. And that's not to say that we are individuals that participate in anarchy or participate in overthrowing things or anything like that. But what that does say is that over and above the gravitational experience that we are experiencing on Earth, you raise yourself up 50,000 feet above that reality and you realize that even racism is an incorrect um, description of what is going on, which is why I often call it, after I realized this, I said, we're fighting, we're fighting spiritual wickedness in high and low places. Mm. Because when a person attaches themselves to that, they can look like you, but be the worst because they look like you and understand you. But we expect that from people who don't look like us. But that same dynamic throughout the world looks very different. Yes, there are, there, there are brown and, and black bodies around the world and throughout everywhere. But when you think about people who look like you, but feel like they are better than you because they are called this or called that, you got to understand that there's a trick that's being played. And if they get you to participate in that trick, they've won. If they can get you out of your emotional state, Wherever your mind goes, your body follows. And I'm talking about on, on a low scale, too. In community, if they can knock you out of your emotional space, you then begin to try to fill it with all kinds of things that become vices. But if you realize that you have control over self, that you can pray and ask for strength, that you can ask for your steps to be ordered, for your mind to be clear, for your for your words to be life-giving. You know, it looks like you are literally a walking miracle. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is that you you call luck into life because luck is an acronym that stands for laboring under correct knowledge. And so when you move in that truth, you give yourself permission to be what Allah or what the Creator wants you to be. And that is great. God doesn't want you to shrink. God wants you to expand and then know, like know with certainty that as you are leaving this world, you get the opportunity to pass back to the generations to come through your DNA, through your dioxyribonucleic acid. You get the chance to, and I'm, I'm calling it a chance, right? It's a gift that you get the chance to pass back to the generations to come all things that will give them the understanding of how to break generational curses, how to move in this world, how to become a light and how to increase light, how to spark people's minds and intellect so that they won't move in fear. You could be afraid, but once you realize that fear is false evidence appearing real, when you stand up and you turn around and see all of those brothers and sisters standing with you, individually, they can knock you down. You come with a with a crew, you come with a, a team, you come focused, ready, prepared. They got to contend with you and deal with you on the same level that you come with. My, 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 let me tell you something, y'all. Dr. Slam, man, ain't kind of play with nobody today, boy. He came out here, he ate, <laughs> he, he ate his Wheaties this morning, man. He came here. My goodness, boy, I'm going to tell you something. You know, this is a blessing, and this is the whole way, this is the way that we need to look at this 
process. You know, Reggie, I'm going to come to you because Dr. Salon is talking. He's talking about a vision of transformational change. And, you know, and even about how we can and we must rebalance power and how we see these United States of America. So one for you, Reggie, tell us about Respect My Vote. Um, I want to get into that. But tell us about how power comes through bold and enduring movements led directly by the affected people that Dr. Salam is talking about, their leadership, both within their communities and in alliances that cross across communities, which is essential. Um, talk about that. I, I want to. I want you to dig deep into how there's a need for different types of power. There's a need for people power. There's a need for relationship power. There's a need for narrative power, and there's a need, obviously, for governance power. And how respect my vote is challenging, challenging that power right now for our community. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That's a rich question. Um, and, and yeah, there, there's a lot there. And, and, and again, I just want to um, echo as well. Um, Dr. Salam, yeah, you, you just spoke a word and a very timely word, um, even for me right now. So thank you. Um, and there's there's a point that you made kind of toward the end of what you're saying, Dr. Salam, just about um, reaching back um, and passing on you know, these gifts to, to future generations. Um, so part of the way I try to approach life and, and, and I've begun to think about myself as well, I think about what it's going to take um, to be to be a good ancestor. Um, so I'm thinking thinking about that as well. And so what do I need to be doing now um, as a person, but a person in community um, to be leaving behind, leaving behind the kind of world um, that, that that I want the, the future generations to inhabit within within that. And so part of what that means to your to your question, Rev, um, is deep connection to community. So when I think about power, um, there's a lot I could say, but I think just for the sake of brevity, I, I, my, my first thinking about my first thought about power is community um, itself. Um, part of that grows out of the work that I've been doing, um, which has largely been grassroots. And so just literally recognizing the power, both of numbers, um, but also I think the gifts and the stories um, with within those people in community. So so Dr. Salam talking about even all of our lived experiences. Um, I think can be themselves a source of power, um, the good and the bad, um, all of that. So often when I'm when I'm doing this work um, and, and I'm going to get to to respect my vote, but where I'm going with that is often take when, I, when I start take this time. work, take time, right there. <laughs> but often when I start the conversation, um, it's not so much, you know, have you registered to vote? It's t- tell me about you. Tell, t- tell me about you. Just tell me your story. Um, and hearing that one it can become a way of connecting um personal t- personal stories to to political power kind of kind of be able to make that connection but it's more and Im- more important to just help especially when you've got impacted communities um who have been impacted um and and disaffected by policy um as dr as dr salam was saying um, oftentimes, um, people just feel forgotten. People feel um, feel as if they have not been heard, and so it's important to to really begin these conversations by listening um, and by hearing. And so that's 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 where I often try to start 
um, when I do this work. Um, and I do that as well by way of reminding people um, about this long history of, of, of movement um, and transformation that we as Black people have both been a part of, but, but have often been at the front for, at the forefront of. Um, when we move, when, when we rise up, when we, when we activate, um, when we march, when we vote, um, the more we participate, um, we have always seen tra transformation um, in this country. Now, there's always backlash, but we've also we've also always seen that transformation when when we do that. And so um, just recognizing, I think, that long history of the power that we have demonstrated um, and recognizing that it still remains um, with us today. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what that means when it comes to respect my vote, um, you gave a, a preface to it you know, already at the beginning of our time, but just um, to kind of reiterate, um, respect my vote is the voting rights and democracy platform for the hip hop caucus. Um, it's been around since 2008. Um, we have certainly, as, as Rev named earlier, um, you know, have, have had a um, literally won awards um, with, with, with this work. Um, and I think about when, when I think about respect my vote now, I think part of the importance of it is we are in a time where um, black people in particular, um, we do have this potential power. We, we still have it. Um, it's still there. But we are seeing we're, we're, we're at a moment in history again where we're experiencing that kind of backlash that, that we've seen before, where um, there are all these attempts to um, suppress the vote, um, to um, to discourage, um, to really um, reinforce apathy, um, to really convince us um, that, that we have no voice and, and no power within this. Um, so part of what Respect My Vote is doing now um, is really helping people to understand um, that, that we do have power. And, um, and, and even more so, um, the black and brown vote um, is pressure. Um, we've we've just completed um, a, a series of voter registration events um, across five states where that was a part of the message that we are um, both numerically powered, but also in terms of the gifts um, and the vision that we bring um, as a people. Um, that is pressure. You know, when 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 we galvanize together, that is that is pressure. Um, and so um, that's part of the importance of this campaign. Um, it's especially important as well um, in light of um, a, a specific demographic within that. We, we have a certain focus, um, a special emphasis on returning citizens. So, you know, we've got we recognizing that, that there are a number of people um, who've, um, who've been imprisoned, um, who have felony records, who come out um, and are facing what is a continued myth that, you know, just because you've got a felony record, you, you now have lost all of your ability and rights to vote. Um, and that's and that's not true. But a lot of um, every state, you know, it looks different, um, but in most cases um, you can vote. And so we're, um, you know, as well trying to help those who um, are returning citizens to, to, to understand exactly what that process looks like um, in, in that state. So, so we've created tools um, with, with, the, with that with that demographic in mind. And we do that again because um, those are people. Those are people with with lives and with stories. Um, and they are part of the community, um, and we are we are trying to create a world where um, the access to the ballot and the vote uh, becomes more expensive, more more expansive, um, and um, encourage as many people as possible to to participate.
Dr. Salam, I, I just want to follow with that because already what an important part here in regards to uh, returning citizens, um, formerly incarcerated people. Um, and so I want to turn to you and really give you this floor to speak to them because this, you know, I, I, I want us to have this, this, I want our folks to hear this and hear some real, us really digging into some real conversation. You know, Audrey Lord once said, there is no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're in a moment here where we have so much, <laughs> you know, it ain't just one issue that we're dealing with. We're not just dealing with, you know, healthcare. We're not just dealing with education. We're not just dealing with climate or, or, or issues of economic justice. We are dealing with a myriad of issues um, that impact our people. And particularly when you are, um, someone who either is currently um, or has been incarcerated, these issues and struggles become multipliers. Um, and so then to come out and then to say, and then to hear us, they said, man, that's Rev and Dr. Salam and Rev. They're talking about go vote. Man, go vote. Man, I'm just trying to make this money. So Dr. Salam, I need you to speak. I'm going to give you this floor. Why is it important? Because we believe we, our, our Respect My Vote campaign is based around returning citizens because we believe there's power there. And we believe that we know that when people are more engaged in the political process, there is a there's a, a likelihood um, that they will not be returning back um, to either jail or prison. But I want to I want you to speak. I want you to speak. Why is it important? for folks to be concerned who are returning citizens in this political process? You know, um, I think I think the the first thing that has to be understood and this is I think this is understood by a grand majority of people who've returned back to society. But the the big picture is that if you don't participate, if you fail to participate, if you say, you know what, it doesn't matter. You know, they're going to steal your vote anyway. Look, they, they they run the world. You know, the truth of the matter is that you are the mm-hmm. oil. And I'm talking about in the liber- literative, li- literal sense and also the figurative sense. You become the oil that they press down and take the life out of and push into the system to move it forward. But you are also what is necessary because just like I said earlier, they need you to participate in whatever it is they're trying to do. And so if your participation is non-participation, you have to understand that you just participated. The grand problem is like mathematics. If we can figure out the, the, the answer to the problem, then we can work through the whole problem to get to a correct solution. But if we're looking at this problem as a piece and disconnected and disjointed, then we say to ourselves, well, I got to do what I got to do for myself. And yes, that's true. But when you connect yourself to the whole and when we're moving as one body, you individually participating in your growth and development automatically participates in the growth and development of community. You taking your individual uh, participation and making it more of a selfishness, it causes the degradation of community. Back in the days, we, 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 even if we lived in the projects, 
we still had respect for our elders. We still moved a certain way. We still had a certain level of, of righteousness that was inside of us. The system is trying to remove all of that out of you. Back in the days, even with hip hop, hip hop was a, was a, was the medium that allowed for there always to be messages in the music. And there was always music in the message. That means that it was always life-giving, whether you heard the rhythm of the drum or you heard the voice, it was life-giving. And I think that when we think about <clears throat> the largest, partic the largest um, population of people who have been disenfranchised, some would argue we've never been part of the franchise in the first place. And I think that that argument might be correct. However, we are here. We are now. This world right now does not move without governance. And governance is on a micro small level and on a macro level as well. It gives you the opportunity to understand that you have a, a, a commitment to self first and a commitment to family and community and neighborhood and the grand, the grand world itself as well. Showing up in those spaces with your, with your, with your, uh, with your work boots on, with your thinking cap on, with your, with your construction hat on. Showing up gives you the opportunity to participate. But when you give over that to a system that doesn't care nothing about you other than you becoming the wheel in the machine of destruction, now we understand where great inequity comes from. They will take your vote or lack thereof and move this world according to how they want to move it. They use everything at their wherewithal to make that so. And they want to make sure that you feel disconnected. Because once you realize that you are connected, game over. There's a statement that says, when we fight, we win. And we have to, in, in many ways, I think, prove that to ourselves, right? Respect the vote is important. The hip hop caucus is important because all of that stuff brings together all of the facets of life and community that needs to be connected. But now we have to think intelligently. Now we have to be able to spark that intelligence so we can move forward in a productive way. That in a great way, in, in, in you know what, what the good Reverend Dr. Weaver said is important because I think when we think about self, the younger you are, the more you lose the connection to you one day being an ancestor. You don't think that you're going to die, right? You, you're, you're living your life as an invincible person until certain things happen. You start getting a little older and you've been down and, uh oh, your back went out on you. Your knees start hurting. You know what I'm saying? You realize that when you're trying to get back on the basketball court, you can't shoot the ball the way you used to. You can't move freely the way you used to. Life is finite, right? Life is mortal, right? This right here is going to end. But when we participate, even if that participation is moving the needle forward just one inch, they want to knock it back, right? It's like, the, it's like a tango. Two steps forward, one step back. But what we've been experiencing, because we haven't been participating at the level that we need to participate, whether that's been by design 
or by choice, we realize that if we decided tomorrow that their system ceases to exist in the way that it is existing right now, collectively, their system would cease to exist if we decided. And I'm saying that because like when you think about even the totality of people who are, so even if we remove the disenfranchisement or the disenfranchised from the scene, we've never had 100% participation in, in the voting process, whether that's been on the local government level or on the bigger government national level. But now imagine if you put into the mix the disenfranchised people who have been made to believe that they should not participate. They cannot participate. It doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. You should participate. And in fact, you must. Because like I said before, non-participation is participation. Imagine if all of the folks that got their rights back that were part of the disenfranchised people chose to participate all the time. Mm. We would have equity. We would have value placed back. We would be rising. And the great thing about this is this. Folks in power don't even got to be scared. Like, we've never been the people that wanted revenge. You know, you knock on our neighbors when gentrification has... You knock on our doors, rather, when the neighborhood is being gentrified. And you say, hey, listen, man, I forgot I forgot a cup of sugar, man. I was, I was trying to get sugar from the grocery store, went and got everything else, but... Came back, I need a cup of sugar. Is it possible I can get a cup of sugar? Not only will we give you a cup of sugar, it ain't going to be salt. It ain't going to be bones. It's going to be sugar. Because we are people who are like that. It's not that we've forgotten the, 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 the historic horror that we are living in. But we are people that attach ourselves primarily to, primarily to spirit to rise above as opposed to wanting to be down in the mud all the time. You know what I'm saying? We have to give life. We have to give the way. We have to tell people the truth. And all the education that we give, and this is the part, this is the other part that I need to say, right? When we tell people to vote, we have to do what we're doing, which is educating people about what that means. Because telling people to vote with the absence of education is not giving them all of the tools that they need in their toolkit. Because when you go to the when you go to the voting booths and you're inside of that booth and you're looking at the names just like they did before and past, you know, voting processes, you're seeing these names and almost for the first time, you're like, damn, I don't know who this is. Well, we need we need to have that kind of education that you know so that you know who the candidates are, what they stand for, what they represent, and also what the lineage is. What are we fighting for? How can they be positioned properly so that we can get what we need as a people? And I'm talking about the kaleidoscope of the human family, not just the individual, but the whole kaleidoscope, because when we win, we all win. Hmm. Uh, my, my, my. Reggie, I mean, listen. I mean, Dr. Salam is saying so much here, and it's it's so connected because what he's saying is that our process, our political process, is connected to 
our mental process, disconnected to our spiritual process, disconnected to how we love one another, how we how we fight for one another. All, all that's connected, and so the voting. Part of this is just a part of literally, like this is a part of our, who we are to make us better. I, I have to say this to you, right? I know as we're doing this campaign, you know, for me, many people are going to say that we as a people, um, to be black people, are, have been, you know, loyal voters and and we we continue to fight, but it seems like other communities are not fighting for the same things that we are fighting for. When we're fighting for simply for Black lives to matter, we're fighting to have clean air and clean water, we're fighting for our schools just to have the books and the resources and the teachers, we're fighting for our healthcare system, we're fighting for our mamas, don't get cancer and our children don't have asthma. We're just, we're fighting for policies. And it just seems like sometimes even our allies are not with us. How, how, how do we fix that? How, how do, we, do we not worry about that? Do we just keep doing what we got to do? I mean, I, I'm just curious as, as we, do we, do we just, do we, have, we help organize them? I'm just wondering how does your work support um that with an eye towards systemic issues. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to something I said before because it's critical to at least how I approach the work. And, and again, I think about the future generations and in, in, in that long game. Um, and, you know, part of, and I'm, I'm actually going to do that in, in part by way of um, sharing some, something you've been sharing, Rev, on, uh, on some of our, our recent events, just reminding people that when we think about policy, um, Oftentimes we get discouraged because, um, as Dr. Salam was just saying, you know, you show up in the vote in the voting booth. Maybe it's the first time you're seeing these names. Um, you're told that um, we need to get the right people in office so that we can so they would affect X, Y, and Z changes. We get there and nothing changes, um, at least in the short term. But when we think about policy um, and our participation, um, and this is something you've you've been sharing, Rev, is that really the policies. Um, that, that we are the impact of policy that we're experiencing right now really came from 10 years ago. These are policies that were enacted in, and now we're seeing the fruit of it. I think I, te- I think about that same approach when I think about how we organize people for the long term. It's, it's helping people to understand that first, you got to be consistent in it. Um, you might not see in, in one election cycle um, what we're hoping. Um, but we think about that long-term vision and continually um, and, and voting being a part of that continually vote in the direction of, of the world that, that, that we want to see. Um, it's, it's a long, it's, it's long haul. It's, it's strategy. I think it's, I think what's also critical um, and what is um, so important about the respect my vote campaign as well. Um, it's not just, we're not just about registration and mobilization. We're also about education, um, which is which is also long term. So after this election cycle, um, as we're building um, relationships within communities, we're going to continue to be in those communities. Um, we're you know we're we're, we're going to show up, and, and and that's really where I think the deeper organizing and the, the deeper education happens. Is it's not during the cycle itself; it's that long term um, voter education, um, and really getting clear and deep. Um, 
in an understanding of what are the policies that that really are impacting people on a daily basis? Because um, I think that's often that that's often what gets lost as well. Oftentimes, especially work that gets focused around elections, um, you know, organizations, people, individuals, politicians will come in um, and, you know, kind of name their platform. But it's not always clear how it is personally connected to me and my community. And so I think the more we can help people understand um, how how they are personally impacted um, and how they personally can shape that process, um, the the more fruitful um, that future is going to be. Hmm. You know, yeah, I just got a couple more questions in this one. You know, so both of y'all know I'm I'm both in the suites and in the streets. I'm, I'm, I'm there. And I, I got to admit, when I'm in the streets, I'm there fighting for my people. You know, um, it's hard, man. It's, it's, it's when you're in Chicago or you're in Atlanta or you're in New York or you're in L.A., man, if you really in some of these, in some of these streets, it, it's rough. It's it, you can see it. And I know a lot of times um, and I'm really speaking to my to my people who are politicians, a lot of times people will come and they will show up to get the vote and then you don't you don't hear from them again, right? And then they they out. And it's like, man, we we down here hurting. And you up there, you know, eating cheese on sticks and <laughs> you know, little shrimps, and you know, you doing your thing and nice car, but we down here hurting and we put you in position. Um I I want I would want you, Doctor Salam, to speak to my my crew who I'm with out there. I mean, these are my ATV, my little my little folks on little dirt bikes. This, this is my those are my folks, and uh, and uh, I, I kind of want you to, to tell them about the future you're fighting for. I think if they hear that, I think that your credibility, who you are, what you've been through, they they, they may dig that. They may listen a little differently. So tell me and tell them what's the future you are fighting for and kind of paint us a picture of who, how, and why. You know what's, what's, what's interesting about um, us as a people, and I'm talking about the totality of us as a people, we've taken the lemons that life has given us and we've made mm. lemonade. Literally, we've made lemonade. We, we, we're drinking lemonade. It might not be sugary. It might not be sweet. It might not have any honey in it. Sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes it might just be just mm. the lemons, right? Depending on what scale of the spectrum you're on. But the beautiful thing about it is that this is us as a people. And in that, we've given ourselves life. Like, we've taken these things that give us um, opportunity to still participate, even though it looks like it could be negative, right? And I'm talking about like the, the brothers on the bikes and all of that, right? I love them brothers, man. You know what I'm saying? I love the fact that we have been figuring things out. But imagine if we've gotten an opportunity to still have a participation on a grand level like that. We got a place for it. But then in the, sh in the community, we're building we're not destroying. We're giving people the opportunity to realize how to live this thing called life, right? We're the originators 
And we have to know that, like beyond the shadow of a doubt. We can't just hypothesize or pontificate. We got to be like, we are the ones who created this. And in that truth are all things. We also have to give ourselves an opportunity to think long term. Like we can't think about, you know, what am I going to do on the weekend? That's how the system wants you to think. We can't think about, you know, do I got a five year plan, a 10 year plan? Listen, it's not enough to have a five year or 10 year plan. I need you to be able to have a lifetime, perhaps a generational plan, intergenerational, expanding generations. Because what I need you to do with life that you're given, and this is part of the work that I do as a motivational speaker and also moving into politics and things like that. I want people to be able to see what they want. If you can't see it, you can't be it. If all you've been seeing in, as you look in the mirror of life, then, you know, we, we there was a term or a, a scenario coined a while back, mirrors and windows. And I thought it was a beautiful thing once it was described. I said, man, that's exactly what's going on. There's a people who get the opportunity to look in the mirror of life and see themselves reflected everywhere, even the cartoons and the toys and the, the, the books and everything looks like them. And then there's other people who are looking out of the window, watching it all pass by. We're on the highway of life and we're trying to figure out how to get in. Just get in. Get, and, 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 and I'm saying that because we need to ensure that there is pressure on both ends. We can't just have pressure in the streets. We can't just have people crying out. We can't just have that. We got to have people in office to effectuate politics, right? And I'm looking for my book. I can't, I can't find it right away. Uh, matter of fact, I'm up. I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna grab one off the back because I want to read something to you, and it's really the the idea of what's at stake with regards to the Thirteenth Amendment. And it's not just the Thirteenth Amendment. And I might not be able to find it. I, I know it by heart, but I'm trying to read it verbatim. Listen, in my book, Punching the Air, I I literally read the whole 13th Amendment, that slavery is abolished. It says it like this. It says slavery is abolished except for the punishment of a crime throughout the whole of the United States and all of its territories. Now, that's the shock. I, I read that in prison and was blown away. Like, what? This can't be real. But that's not even the crux of what is at stake and what's important. Section two, and section two finds itself all throughout the Constitution. Section two says, Congress shall have the power to enforce this article through appropriate legislation. Now we understand those of us who were best in the streets have to use that same mentality of, high, of playing high level chess and not checkers. And we got to enter the boardrooms. We got to enter the White House. We got to enter the Senate. We got to be there. Because those who have been affected can't have other people telling 
their story. We have to tell our story. And by we, like those of us who've been part of the, dis the community of the disenfranchised people, the returned citizens and, and on these shores, man, we could, we could look at each other and know what we're saying without even speaking a word because it's a shared experience. We know where we've been. We know what's important. And this is part of also the secret to life. If you want success in life, visualize yourself successful. And I'm saying it just as simple as that because it is really just that simple. But I need you to write it down. What are you doing? What are you doing in that moment? And then I need you to step back, just one step. What did you do just before you became successful? And I want you to write that down. And I want you to continue that process until you get to the present state of where you currently are. I take young students through this when I'm in college classrooms and I'm talking to the first, um, first year students that's in a university specifically. And I take them through that process because when they open their eyes after they go through this meditative state, they are laser focused because they know what they want. I mean, imagine a college student who's full of fear coming into this, this school is already seeing themselves taking the tassel and moving it from one side of the hat to the next. They know what they got to do. They know what's important. They are moving through life on purpose and not moving through life as a mistake. And I'm saying this because the, the, those of us who've had our, our power taken from us, we got to know we could get it back. We got to know all we got to do is say, I refuse to let you continue to treat me the way you treat me. And I'm going to move like I know. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about personal power, personal, you know, the, this thing that you have that that's very personal because all of us then will be moving on assignment. All of us have been called and some of us have turned a deaf ear to the call. Some of us are still asleep, but you got to get up. Not only is your life at stake, your mama's life is at stake, your daughter's life, your son's life, your lady's life, your homie's life. All of our lives are at stake because all of us are part of the grand puzzle of life. And if one piece ain't there, we're not complete. Dr. Yusuf Salam, you are building a powerful, powerful alternative to the status quo how can people follow and support you? Uh, and, you know, and also buy the book. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, with my books, the only book I self-published is my book of poetry, which was really the words that I used to get out of the hell that I was in. And it was words that continued to infuse life back into me. So that book specifically can be purchased on my website, YusefSpeaks.com. And that's Y-U-S-E-F-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. All of my other books, Punching the Air, my memoir, Better Not Bitter, you know, all of my other books can be purchased everywhere books are sold. Amazon, you know, Barnes and Nobles, 
Books a Million, anywhere you find books being sold, whether that's on a digital copy or a physical copy, it can be purchased there. And the great thing about Punch in the Air is that even on the digital side, the audible side, the young man who played me in When They See Us is the narrator mm-hmm. for the book, Punch in the Air, that I co-wrote with A.B. Zaboy. And I'm the narrator for my book, Better Not Bitter, on Audible. So people hear me rapping on there and telling the story real colorful and energetically. It's a, it's a powerful thing because it gives you life. I love it. I love it. Reggie, uh, how can folks get in? I mean, you're now, man, my brother, you got a, you got a heavy task here, man. You carrying the mantle. Respect my vote. Man, this is, that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta hold it down for the culture. How can folks, uh, Check out Respect My Vote. How can folks vote? Yeah. <laughs> and how can folks figure out how to get engaged? Yeah. So I'll just take that opportunity just to say a little bit more about some of the tools. So um, simplest way, um, go to respectmyvote.com um, and you will find um, a, n- a number of things. Um, our, our, our platform as an organization um, around democracy and, and other policy concerns as well. Um, you will find there as well um, links um, for you to Check your voter registration status. Um, you know, if you've already registered, but 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 want to make sure that that's up to date. And, and we also know that some of the suppression tactics that have been happening is that voting voting rolls have been purged. So so we want to make sure that people um, know that they are registered. Um, if you are not registered, um, you can also register on that site as well. Um, there, there's a link for you to do that. And if you are registered, you can pledge to vote, um, and that, and that'll be a way just um, to make that commitment. Um, and also to to continue to, to receive information from us about um, various policies and just up, upcoming uh, election dates and deadlines. And I also want to, again, reemphasize that that particular tool um, for returning citizens. So, so there's a specific um, emphasis on that page that, you know, if you are someone who um, has a felony record um, and you want to know um, what your voting rights are in your state, um, you, you can you can find that as well. So respectmyvote.com, um, you'll find all of that information. Um, if you want to get in touch with me specifically, um, directly, um, the easiest way would be by email, and that's reggie at hiphopcaucus.org. Well, Dr. Yusuf Salam, and my dear brother, Reggie Weaver, thank you all so much for this man, amazing spirit-filled, just empowering conversation. They are our guests today. They are Dr. Yusuf Salam and Hip Hop Caucus, Reggie Weaver, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. All power to the people. Thank you all so much, brother. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.